All right, so welcome to episode number five of Kovic Talk. This is a really special one for me. I mean, I was sitting there thinking, what is it that people haven't heard enough about recently? And that's definitely going to be coronavirus. <laughs> and um, obviously, we can't uh, really escape it, and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, but today, it's, it's, it's an honour. This is, this is a strange one, isn't it? But I'm going to welcome my partner in crime, Dr. Karina Johansson. How are you doing? I'm good. You ready for this? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be cool. Yeah? Nervous? A little bit, yeah. Right. It's so strange to be in a in a camera position. Is this is this the first time you've done anything like this? I mean, I ask that yeah. as if I don't know, but <laughs> of course it is, isn't it? Of course I have You know, obviously, for people who don't know, um, you're, you've recently become a doctor and your journey as a junior doctor just happens to coincide with the start of the world's biggest global pandemic. Um, and it's kind of a good time really I think to sit down and, and talk about it and for those people who are out there feeling confused not really understanding what's going on I think mm. it's a good thing to maybe like share your story a little bit about about what the hell that was like yeah it was it was really not what I expected it to be um obviously the changeover when you become a junior doctor is in August mm. so I had a good of six seven months before the pandemic and i'm really happy i had that because i think it would be a different ball game if if actually coronavirus happened during changeover yeah um being a junior doctor is hard it's hard enough already because you're constantly on the wards you are standing up you solving puzzles keeps being interrupted by things that goes wrong because that's the hospital life mm. and um you you pulled one way and the other so having a pandemic as well was 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 tough. What do you think your like earliest thoughts were when it came to mm. the news breaking? We were actually away at the time, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. So we were living it up in Bali. <laughs> Life was good. It was amazing. And then the news yeah. started to heat up and you were in this really strange position because you mm. knew you were going back into your sort of training and you knew that life was going to be very different when you went back in. I yeah, so it was strange because we we were talking about this and we were also thinking of cancelling our, our holiday in Bali um, which I'm really happy that we didn't because I really needed that um, but when we were in Bali I didn't think that much about it because I had no idea what would happen when, when we got back. When we left for Bali there was hardly any cases in UK we had toilet paper, we had everything the hospital life was completely normal um, and when we got back I, I got an email saying that a normal changeover wouldn't would not happen. And when you say changeover, what do you what do you mean by that? So? Yeah, so doctors in training we change every four months. Mm -hmm. So we spend four months in a specialty, and then we change to a completely different one. It could be surgical, it could be the community, or it could be a different medical specialty. Um, so for me, I was supposed to go into surgery, and I was quite excited about it because I spent eight months in medicine, which had been really challenging, but also really good as well, and it was kind of good to experience something new um but the week before the changeover we got an email saying there are many more corona cases in the country uh when we're going into a lockdown basically boris johnson announced his message and we got an email saying that our rotation were cancelled we're going to have a new rotor which is the corona rotor um and no one knew anything about it and I don't think the hospital policymakers knew anything about it either. They just 
tried to gather as many doctors they could um, to have on the shift to help out. So I went from having a pretty routine um, mixed with some night shifts and on-calls, obviously, to suddenly being six days in a row in a completely different specialty than I normally did. And we were constantly rotating. So we did six days in a row, about, I think it was 10 hour shifts. Then you had two days off and then you were on nights for six nights, which is more than I've ever done. And then we had technically one and a half day off and then back to days again. I think from from a personal standpoint, that's when I realized just like what you were made of. And and this goes out to all doctors and all care workers because it's like, I mean, to me, you're, you're nothing short of a hero and I don't mean to and I mean that because (laughs) when I was watching Mm. that moment happen and you know we we can share with with people watching it's like we ended up in that weird dichotomy where we were like well well, what do we do we're facing something where at the time it's, it's one thing talking about it now isn't it yeah but if we rewind the clock at the time all I cared about was your safety. And you remember, and it was just like, well, look, you, you've, got to, you've got to really rethink this. Are you just mm. going to go and jump in the fire here, not yeah. knowing what this is, virus is doing, not understanding anything about it? And I remember you just turning around going, I've, I've just got to go in. I've got to do it. And, you, and it w- wasn't ever a thought for you it, to not... No, I think it was tough. Like, it, it definitely hit my mind. Like, I was thinking, am I going to get unwell? Are you going to get unwell? Are we going to is this so bad like Ebola or SARS and MERS and where doctors were dying and healthcare professionals were dying, nurses were dying. Um, is this something that, that we might get and I would pass it on to you and then one of us would end up in hospital and maybe die? It did cross my mind. And and I think also speaking to my colleagues, it crossed everyone's mind. But you kind of felt this strange curiosity about it as well. Um because you go into medicine not because of money you go in because you're a g- massive geek and you you just love science and you you like working with people as well and it's just this curiosity about this is something completely different and new and you, you could be a part of something and try and fight it and it was just this curiosity that made me want to I, st- I think there's curiosity and then there's this willingness to throw yourself in the fire and it's like yeah. and and also it's we're talking about something very serious here you've got colleagues there's there's medical professionals all around the UK and families yeah. who have lost loved ones this oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a very yeah. real very dangerous thing and I Absolutely. think that the mindset that we often don't understand or I didn't necessarily understand its mm. full impact was that's how you guys are, 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 are wired and, and it's just like the bravery to just go nope we're just going to go you, in. You have to, because if if everyone said we're not going to, we're not going to run the hospital services, we would be in a very big problem. Like mm. we would not have staff to deal with normal um, stuff like heart attacks or strokes, plus also coronavirus as well. So, I think there were part of me that just felt a bit not obliged. Like we were never forced to do anything, but this is my job, mm. and I had. I have amazing colleagues and you felt this kind of solidarity to one another that you you had to go in um sadly I I do know that some colleagues of mine have actually been affected really badly by coronavirus Mm. um some people have have passed it on to family members who've been severely unwell um, and some people have been struggling with the long-term effects of coronavirus so it hasn't been an easy journey at all um 
and I see myself as quite lucky because I haven't really, I haven't been affected by coronavirus at all. Well, I wonder, it, I, I mean, obviously it's, you're a very well put together person. Your psychology is very strong, but also it's worth bearing in mind just how much the psychological impacts weigh yeah. up because that is a very yeah. real thing, right? It, I think the psychological impact has affected everyone. I think mm. no one has not been affected by coronavirus. Um, but I've been lucky in the, the sense that I haven't had any problems with my breathing or haven't actually had, I've been more asymptomatic um, mm. by corona. So I, I've never had a positive test. I have negative antibodies, which is surprising. Um, but I wonder if I potentially have had it because I've been exposed so much so I, I can't see why I haven't had it. Well, one of my one of my good mates mm. is well, one of our good mates, Jimmy. Yeah. You know, he's he's in the police. Something that I'm still racking my brain on is how can frontline workers be exposed to the level that you are? I mean, you're yeah. in there, you're taking care of these people. You know, every possible like body fluid that could come at you is coming at you. You're yeah. in these you're in these high pressure rooms that are you know, essentially positive pressure rooms that are helping people to breathe, yeah. which means that your lungs are being opened and, and you're being exposed so much. I'm struggling to understand, and I know that there's no really real answers, but how do you think it's possible that you can be in there living and breathing in these environments and have months and months of exposure without mm. having caught it yourself or, or having negative tests? Often? I, I think it's too early to say for sure at this present time because... We don't know for sure what the effects of coronavirus is right now. There's symptoms now coming up that we didn't know about months ago. Mm. Um, but I think people have different immune response. And this is just coming from my point of view. So I think some people have a different immune response where they don't make antibodies and they fight infection quite quickly. And I think I just can't think of like how how i can be negative mm. like i'm pretty sure i must have had coronavirus at one point because it's is impossible but still it's, it's very in the early phase we don't know how exactly the coronavirus is 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 or we the our immune system is fighting the infection um and i think only time would would answer that and it's it's fair point because we're still figuring this out as we mm. go that's why i wanted to kind of open up this conversation now i felt like it was a reasonable time because in my circles when i turn to social media one of the things that people are really curious about especially as they start to learn about you mm. and um you know when we were doing kind of clap for your carers a lot of people got yeah. introduced to you you and what you were doing but when you're there when you're on the front lines like walk us through what the typical journey and I know this might end up being a little bit morbid and, and a little bit scary <laughs> yeah. for some people, but like a lot of people want to know this. What are you seeing? How are you treating people? How How is this manifesting I, in reality for you on the I, front line? I think it depends on what kind of size the hospital is. So I'm working in a small hospital, district hospital, um, and it depends on what specialty you are mm. working in. So if you're in surgery, you won't really come across coronavirus like the way you come across it is that your lists get cancelled. Um, everyone needs to screen prior to it. But I've been on the medical side. So for me, I've been more involved with coronavirus. Um, during the first wave, I don't think I saw that much. Like, it's it's so much different now from how it was. So in the beginning, I was on the wards. We were seeing corona patients. Um, we had no clue how to manage them. 
you know the basic things like how to treat an infection but you don't know what can we give them to make the symptoms uh, shorter more milder how can we improve mortality mm. um things like that it's just you we had no signs behind it so what what were you attempting when we look back at that first wave and people were presenting they were obviously unwell yeah. what were the typical symptoms so it's it's been the same symptoms throughout that we know but we, we added more symptoms to the lists so coronavirus is a virus um that affects multiple organs it affects your lungs it can affect your kidneys uh, it can affect your gut so you get all these weird symptoms for some people they completely asymptomatic and that would be the majority of everyone but then you have the selected few um, and we kind of stratified it and identified some risk factors who would present with um, very short of breath. Um, they need oxygen. Their oxygen levels are really low. They have a terrible dry cou- uh, cough, um, headaches, muscle aches. Uh, sometimes we can see diarrhea with it. We can see some weird rashes now, which wasn't seen that much in the first wave um confusion it's 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 a variety of symptoms um but i think in the very early days we didn't have enough tests we didn't have enough um protective equipment we didn't know what kind of treatment we should try so we were kind of throwing things at it like we would with any other infection because mm. we've been treating flu and we've been treating tuberculosis and other uh, lung conditions for for decades and hundreds of years but this was completely new for us. So we tried experimental treatment and we'd been doing a massive trial nation- nationally. Um, and from that, we now have gained some insight into things that might work. So it's it's been a massive challenge, um, emotionally for us healthcare professionals as well. Because you, you bond with patients and you, you want them to, to do well and seeing anyone dying is a massive loss. So it's it's been tough but we've been we've been trying different things and finally we can see now what works and what doesn't really work but still we we are not near a cure mm. at all so going back to what you were saying about the the, the kind of oxygen that which mm. i understand is like blood saturation i know that i'm gonna sound like an idiot yeah, when i'm trying to talk about yeah. this stuff but you know when patients come in and they're struggling to breathe and I understand that it's a problem with the ability to absorb oxygen into the blood that seems to be the main reason Going why. very technical there. <laughs> am I? I am <laughs> I impressing physiological. Um, yeah, so what happens with... So you have mild symptoms of coronavirus and then you have the unfortunate few who who come, has to come to hospital um, either because their body is responding to the, the virus in such a way that you get inflammation of the lungs and mm. um, also you might additionally have bacterial infection as well um so what we normally do is that we treat them with um strong antibiotics we give them steroids now which we we seem to have some good results with and sorry to jump in because i'm going to start throwing so i'm going to start playing devil's advocate with a lot of <laughs> stuff because i'm aware of a lot of misinformation and a lot of uh problems yeah. with this subject and we'll talk about that later but you straight away you said you use antibiotics yeah and there's a lot of people who are arguing online because they say look this is a virus it's obvious that you don't use antibiotics on of on a virus because it's not a bacteria so what what why do you use antibiotics Uh, that's a very good point like you shouldn't really use antibiotics for viruses but the thing is that if you have a viral infection you can get superimposed bacterial infections that means 
your body is quite weak and um, if you have fluids building up your lungs, then they can get bacteria infected in there. So we do give antibiotics just to avoid any superimposed bacterial infection. And we don't really have much choices as well. Like we don't really know how to manage coronavirus still. Um, but we give antibiotics um, until we find out uh, that they don't have a bacterial infection by checking the bloods and everything. Um, we give them steroids because it's dampened down the inflammation of the lungs. And we, from the during the first way, we were experimenting with steroids and we see some good results. So that's why we're giving it. I found it interesting that it was only a few weeks in when you were in the first wave. And obviously mm. every day when you came home, I was like, right, well... What have you learned? What's happening? And yeah. and you said so early on, and I'll never forget because you kind of said, <laughs> you said, I've kind of got this theory that if we could stop the immune system from like going into yeah. overdrive. Yeah. And you'd, you'd said it, you called it almost right at the start, this idea of using steroids. So the idea, if and again, if I remember correctly, is it stops your body from attacking sort of yeah you stop the so you have a lot of inflammation in the lungs and you need inflammation because that's the way the body can clear bugs but also inflammation can be bad if it's chronically and it can actually irritate tissues and cause fibrosis and um basically break down the lungs a little bit so we give steroids to dampen down the um the inflammation in the body and we've proven to, to see some good results during the first wave um, we also now trying other treatment, which is experimental. Um, so one of them is, for instance, plasma. So it's it's a blood product. So we take blood from people who recovered from coronavirus, mm. and we take the antibodies. So that's the immune response that fight the infection, and we give it to to patients who are very unwell, and are very short of breath, requiring oxygen, and meeting the right criteria. Then we try and give it to them, and we. It's still in the early phase, but I've I've seen some cases who've been improving with plasma, but it's, it's still in the early phase. Is that so, one of the reasons why we're seeing a much lower mortality rate? Because as mm. we look at corona, the first wave, anyone who's gone on to, you know, like Worldometer or anyone who's yeah. seen the statistics, one thing that definitely resonates is that the death rate is so much smaller. And that is actually, I think, causing a lot of how would you say it? Like that's causing a lot of disagreement and kind of causing yeah. a bit of a flashpoint in terms of people who have got different, like let's say ideologies on how they think about this and how they think the country should be reacting. So when you talk about these plasma trials, when you talk about the use of steroids, when you talk about at least getting some treatments evolutionarily kind of decided on of what's mm. what's working and what's not is that really why we're seeing this reduce um i think that's really hard to say i don't think that's why we're seeing less mortality um but obviously this is just from my point of view um i haven't i'm not an epidemiologist so i i don't know the full data completely um but from what i can share in in my district hospital we we saw this kind of wave going up in march april may then it kind of started plateauing a little bit and then improved by july um and then july august was fairly okay um and then we didn't really see much corona cases in in august at all um if we did it was mainly asymptomatic they were there for something completely different reasons and and you just sent them home really it mm. wasn't 
it was nothing like we're seeing now with the second wave. So I don't think, like from my understanding, I don't think that's related to the mortality uh, and the spike we're seeing in cases right now. I can only come with guesses, but one of them could be potentially the fact that the virus may have mutated. Maybe we now see a more uh, of a virus that is spreading faster, but doesn't really have as high mortality anymore. That could be one thing. Another right. thing is this might be way too early. Maybe the mortality would go suddenly all off up. It's just too early. We've discussed a couple of times yeah. about a very commonly held idea that isn't something that that anyone can really definitively prove because we just don't have enough information yet. But there is that idea that the way that a virus becomes most effective is in its ability to spread the most. Yeah. And in its and, and in being uh enhanced in its like spreadability, <laughs> it's like you, you want a virus to become less and less symptomatic, right? Because like Ebola, if it kind of kills your hosts yeah. and makes really bad symptoms, that's not conducive to it spreading widely. So it's it's just down to kind of evolution, if you think about mm. it. So if you have a very aggressive virus that is um killing the host very deadly virus it won't have the chance to spread to that many people because they would have symptoms they would die before they actually manage to spread it to someone else but if you have someone um that doesn't really give much symptoms and doesn't kill the host before it's been spreading to other people that could be come more of an effective pandemic so it spreads faster so one theory is that maybe coronavirus have have mutated the other one is that maybe we don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Mm. Um, and the third could be a bit more morbid. Maybe the people who were vulnerable, they, they got it in the first wave and they got very well. And unfortunately, some of them died as well. Um, so maybe the people who were vulnerable in the society, they passed away in the first one. But I'm just speculating because... I don't know the answer to this and I well, think, I think no, no one really has the answer to it and this yeah. is one of the reasons why I wanted to have a really pragmatic conversation mm. with you because obviously I'm in music there's mm. a lot of like extremely like liberable uh, liberable yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of extremely like liberal people there's a lot mm. of people taking to the streets there's a lot of confusion there's a lot of anger and as I'm going out to social media I'm looking at how much we're, we're just ready to tear each other apart I just feel yeah. a bit like I, 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 I want to share your story more because it's like as this graph has gone up and as Boris stands there and he does his presentation and as mm. world leaders go look our graph's going up there are people legitimately who just say, look, this is fake, you know, like, this is all 5G, like, this is all rubbish, they're doing this to control you, and then and then yeah. you come home and you're exhausted because yeah. you're dealing with the actual people desperate and clinging on to their lives, and it's and it's a hard dichotomy for me because it's just like, what, what, how can you rationalise and how can you, how do you feel when you have to look on social media at people telling you that this stuff is fake and that, that coronavirus isn't it, real. It's frustrating because, um, okay, I can understand that majority of people would be asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. At the moment, we have more infections in the north of England. So anyone in London would, well, now we see a spike in London as well. But if you were in London, you might not see the effects right now as much as you saw in the first wave. Um, 
But and when you say you see the effects, you're talking about the people being hospitalised, yeah, taking or, the... or getting the infection. Yeah. Um, but so it's 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 very it's sad, it's frustrating when you meet people. I've I've met a couple of people who claim that the virus is is used by the government to control the population and to to I don't know what they think that the government is going to do because <laughs> I think if the government chooses to use coronavirus to control the population they're doing a very bad strategy it's going to kill the economy I think we ev- don't want it <laughs> well, everyone, everyone's just got their own gut instinct on this haven't they and don't yeah. get me wrong like I, I don't necessarily think we've handled this brilliantly and I, and no. I and just like for full transparency because there's no other way to handle this than full transparency it's like I, I am much more like on a spectrum swung towards the herd immunity idea. I don't think we're going to get away from this. I don't I think it's going to be years for a vaccine to come out and I and I'm more swung towards getting back at it. But that's easy for me to say, isn't yeah. it? Because I'm relatively young. Uh, although I have people at risk in my family that I want to protect, I would prefer to look at isolation plans around them and and crack on. So, so and when these people are coming forward with their ideas that don't necessarily match other ideas. Other people in my family are a lot stricter and a lot more worried about it, and they don't yeah. think, you know. And even within it, us, it's, we're, it's we've, hard. We've, we've like got that. I don't even know where I'm standing on it because it's. I think the government has some really difficult decisions to make because part of me is thinking, yes, if we have a strict lockdown, we could reduce the cases um, and reduce the infection transmission because. It's just logical. If you don't go out your house, you won't spread it to anyone else. But at the same time, that has very negative consequences for the economy. Mm. It has negative consequences for, for education, like a whole lost generation of young students in universities and schools. Mm. And also I can see it on the on healthcare professionals as well. Like we have um, training nurses, student nurses and training doctors, medical students who've been missing out on their placement. So we will have a generation of new doctors who have lost maybe one, two years of their training, which is, that's bad. Mm. So I can see that the societal long-term effects, I think is going to be heavy, but also we need to protect the vulnerable because I've, I've seen, I've seen sick patients with coronavirus and it's real. <laughs> I can tell you that it's definitely real. So when I come across people who, who believe coronavirus is, is fake or created by the government or by 5g or whatever it it, it makes me sad because <laughs> like i and my colleagues i think we can agree that it's frustrating because you you you're working with sick patients and the majority of them are in the older population group but we've seen younger patients as well and it, it's 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 very sad I think sometimes yeah. there's this detached feeling that if you're mm. not interacting with it yeah. and if you're going around London, I mean, look, I've had to go in uh, public transport or I've had to crack on with things as, as mm. we have needed to do. You, you've been jumping on the train every morning to, to get to work. And it's mm. just like, I think it's easy for some people if they don't come into contact with this thing, it just seems like this cloud it's out there in the ether this coronavirus it's somewhere but if you don't see it it's easy to just go this is just this is just government's strategy it's crazy i mean the the, the one (laughs) i think the the reasoning behind the government strategy i don't get my head around because it's like oh yeah the government is imposing a virus that could that's going to kill the economy 
and kill the educational effects and yeah but it's all about like the elite like, you know what i mean it's all, all about the elite kind of financially being benefactor of the situation being able to cr- like, control the, the population surely and get mandatory need... vaccines through like how would you feel about that for example if someone said oh if the government said we're going to put a mandatory vaccine in which is what a lot of people are naturally concerned about like what's your thoughts on that i think i always think that we should never impose mandatory things on people vaccines are incredible they save lives every day um they they before vaccines we we saw a lot more cases of polio we saw measles who could make people deaf and blind and um kill young kids so vaccines are great they are we need them uh but i don't think we should make it mandatory i think people should have enough education to to choose vaccines but you should never impose anything on people i what i think yeah um but yeah we shouldn't really make it mandatory i don't think so yes i know that i'm putting you in a weird position asking these questions (laughs) but i I do find it fascinating especially again when we look at i mean conspiracy theories are fascinating anyway Mm. especially especially the passion that a lot of people follow because the whole vaccine concept is just a weird one like we i forget a lot but we we have a growing contingency of people who legitimately are like anti-vaccines that they they campaign actively to say look this is a horrendous thing that we're doing to to kids that it's it's dangerous that it's like risking lives and you know we've we've spoken about it before because i thought you know i don't know whether this is true or not but i thought that polio was essentially eradicated i thought that we'd kind of got rid of that well we we almost eradicated it um but then especially after the Wakefield study, which was completely bullshit. Well, what for people who don't know what the Wakefield study so is, can it you was, walk I us through? I think it was early 90s. Uh, there was a doctor, British doctor called Dr. Wakefield who did some research um, and essentially proved that MMR vaccines, which is for mumps, measles and rubella, uh, given to young kids, is related to autism. Um, and that creates a lot of trouble for doctors in general because... His science was was fake. It was actually um, the numbers were manipulated, and he did it to financial gain from it. So the medical society in UK and, and across the world is is rejecting his 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 research, um, and it, it's just disgraceful what he did. But that has had long aftermath from this because he got a lot of exposure and a lot yeah. of press at the time so yeah. so let me get this straight he basically said that M- mmr vaccine which was a group of vaccines yeah. was connected to autism and he fundamentally made up the data it was just complete bollocks well he manipulated the data to make it look like it was related to autism but um, we haven't proven it's related to autism at all and what he wanted was to sell the vaccines individually actually right so that was, was where running... his financial interest comes yeah. in yeah but the aftermath was that people actually now believe that uh, these vaccines are related to autism and have nasty effects and it's completely untrue. Um, and it's sad to now see spikes of diseases that we almost eradicated to actually now go up in the society. And it's it's just mental that this is happening because we, we have invented something incredible as vaccines mm. to stop you from having nasty <laughs> infections and, and making people deaf blind getting seizures at risk of death essentially um and then now people are refusing something like this it's it's just mental i, I can't believe it 
I think it's a partic- yes. it will touch a particular nerve when mm. when you, you when you have situations where you have to mm. pick up the pieces and help families and you have to help the process of fixing the aftermath of diseases that we just shouldn't have yeah and and again like it, it's a weird thing f- maybe because we're on the same page I, I would love to talk to more people i'd love to find yeah. anti-vaxxers and talk to them and understand I, more I about like to like understand the- more about it because they have some concerns and if we manage to just educate people a bit more making mm. pe- people more critical of studies because well, I could easily have read this. Yeah. What, what was the study again? Sorry, the 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 Wakefield. Yeah, um, I think it was even published in the Lancet. Shockingly, Cause, but that's um, it. If you're looking at the Lancet yeah. and you're reading this, and if you're taking a specific re- like time to research, you come across mm. this Wakefield paper. I could easily see myself going right. We can't have vaccines because but, it, because the data is there that proves yeah. that there's a link to autism. And if you're going to protect your child, that's why I like. I definitely understand why we have anti-vaxxers i can understand the psychology yeah. of, of oh, yeah. finding that path but also it's it's just so dangerous isn't it like yeah. of what's happening now i just think that um we should try make people more skeptical of of research because it's good to be skeptical that's basically science in a nutshell you ha- always have to think for yourself and i think we should maybe in school teach people about research techniques so we can look at the data and see how can people manipulate data? What's good research? What's bad research? And then they can make up their own mind. Because there's thousands of articles out there. There are thousands of people claiming to be an expert. And it's dangerous because people actually believe in what they're saying. So I believe people should be critical. I believe people should do their own research and make it up. But they need the right tools for it because you can say... You can claim that any research is a good study, but it's it's not. So always be critical. Mm. Especially mm. with with what you're doing now, because you're in the research teams with Corona at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So recovery trial is something that we do national, and we're recruiting doctors um, across the UK. Um, I'm one of them, the people being recruited to this trial. So I'm I'm basically looking at patients and seeing if they are uh, a good candidate for um, the drugs that we give for coronavirus. Um, and, and by that, you mean um, plasma? Not just plasma. We have other drugs as well. Like one is an antibiotic. One is a drug that we use for rheumatoid arthritis. And plasma is also one of them. Um, and we don't have enough data yet to say that they are efficient or not efficient. Or So we, we're giving it to people, but we have to screen them because some of them can be a bit nasty. Um, what makes me wonder about the stuff that Trump had? Was it remdesivir? Uh, I haven't had time to look exactly what he had. <laughs> well, he's been shot up but, with just about everything by the sounds yeah, of things. Yeah, I, I find that very puzzling because we, we don't give trial drugs to anyone with coronavirus. We, we give it to people who are unwell. So people requiring oxygen uh, or got a nasty infect like nasty coronavirus well, we don't, we don't give it ditch. to yeah so we don't give it to anyone who, who comes into hospital and happen to have a coronavirus test that is positive because most people would recover from it and we've seen a lot of people recover from it as well um so yeah i i find that a bit strange but as i said i don't know what the circumstances he had or what exactly we had um but Trump is Trump is just a different <laughs> subject. We won't, we won't go into that. <laughs> what what are the positive things for you? Like you, the journey mm. you've gone through is is a heavy one. 
it's I know that you're incredibly strong and you put a smile on always but like Mm. on your behalf everything that you've gone through has been nothing short of a a bit of a nightmare but you kind of cracked through it (laughs) and smashed through it and and I know it's it's been a difficult process but like for people who are obviously going to be admiring the stuff that that you do what are the positive parts like what do you see on the horizon that's developing well well I think from a research point of view I think we now are working better across country lines. I think we're sharing more data with each other. Um, I think it's been very interesting being so kind of young in the doctor world. Like I've I've only worked as a doctor for one and a half years soon. Um, and to get involved with this top research on edge, like on the edge research, it's, it's just really, really, really cool. Um, I think for people in general it looks like i i didn't get to enjoy this because i've been working yeah but by the looks of it it looked like most more people were outside it was great sunshine so i think that's the positive sides of coronavirus um if you can say there are any positive things but i think people have kind of connected and realized how important it is to sort of be out in the nature um sharing information i think that's what we can take from this mm. um but yeah um i would say from a healthcare point of view we all want this thing to go over <laughs> we're not enjoying it mm. um but there are, there are some positives from it yeah i mean you you've obviously made a huge amount of progress coming into the second wave to where you were at the first and i yeah. think that it seems to me from the outside looking in to, to some respect that care is getting better we are understanding it more we are now finding a better process we're adapting in a way where this is no longer this really scary looming thing that's going to come out and and grab you because when you put the news on all the time and look we felt it didn't we like when we sit there we listen to the news if you take that too much and face value and the media are just like smacking you around the head constantly with this horrific news it's like you don't know where you don't know the barometer of where to level your thoughts in how much yeah. you should necessarily be worried about I think you've got to be, be careful there as well because th- this is serious um, and it's still something that is scary and we see still like quite young patients being involved with it. But as you said, I think we also have to look at the bright side because you can't constantly walk around being scared of it. Mm. Um, but yeah... I just wanted to correct you there. That is, no, that's fine. It is serious. <laughs> I mean, we, serious we, stuff. we've had our debates so, so much and there's, you know, like even with friends we have, you could pick any subject. I mean, masks is a great one. You know, like we have mm. friends who just like absolutely won't wear masks. They're just like, look, and you can understand where they're coming from. A lot of people just go, look, the government isn't around to dictate what I do. It's like, fair enough. It's like, yeah. I don't have to wear a mask. It's like, fair enough. But I think also it's a, it's a collective effort because if you, the masks are mainly protecting other people. So you wear the mask to protect exactly. other people. So if you choose not to... <laughs> there's a cat coming in. Hello, We've got Ricky. a cat coming in here. I love this, <laughs> that people listening on this podcast are not going to understand how cute this cat is, but he's also <laughs> desperately trying to get in. Like, he's oh, found. <laughs> Come, <laughs> he's Come, Come on. Come little boy. I've but got, like one I of the... to... That's fine. You pick him up. You can't just leave a cat there without having a cuddle. Do you reckon c- cats can carry corona <laughs> yeah well did they say that pets can be affected by coronavirus as well um <laughs> but like the so the, the mask thing's a good example because i find it funny that although like 
I kind of understand the point and perspective of saying, well, no one should impose yeah. what I do. It's like, okay, fine. We don't have to wear a mask, but you also don't, you don't have to be served at a bar or you don't have to be let into like Tesco's or you don't have to be let into like Lidl's down the road on a Saturday night yeah. when you, when you want a beer. It's just like, it's, it's all about liberty and sometimes just understanding that it's really less about you and, and yeah. more about just the yeah. way that you're, do you know what I mean? Because we are young, so we are less at risk of, of having severe effects of coronavirus, but we could still be affected bad because you might be one of those few unlucky ones and you never know. Or you might be passing it on to one of your loved ones. So I think we should always be, be careful and take the government's um, suggestions seriously because they're made by experts. So I think masks are quite good with protecting um, other people, other vulnerable people. Uh, even though you might not be scared of coronavirus, there are lots of other people who are scared and it's helping to stop spreading it. Masks are not 100% foolproof. Like they, they will be like, it won't stop you from spreading it completely, but it can reduce the spread. Well, maybe that's one of the main flashpoints is people mm. go, well, look, if we can't if we can't reduce it completely, then what's the point? It's just a bit of cloth. But maybe we sometimes forget to realize that it's just a reduction and yeah. a reduction is helpful. Any, <laughs> like, any reduction is helpful because we've yeah. now been in lockdown for a year soon, mm. which is pretty long. <laughs> and I think most of us can feel the effects. Um, and funny enough... Um, from the hospital point of view, I, f- I find it a bit more, not stressful, but a bit more busier than it was during the first wave. Do you think that's because a lot of people are just coming to hospital for, for their typical stuff as well as? Yeah, the- yeah, that the probably is. Um, and we do encourage people who are really unwell to come to hospital because it's important. It, if it's life-threatening, you don't want to sit at home with a heart attack. Yeah. You want to come to hospital. Um, but at the same time, we were seeing the standard routines. I think people are forgetting um, forgetting that there is still a virus going on. So the clinics have have, have a massive waiting list now. Um, and I think it's important for people to realise that it is because of coronavirus and they they have to be patient as well because it's, it's still there. It hasn't gone and the wolves are getting more busier. Um, and we just have to work all together in this because it's it's just difficult. And this is new. This is a completely different thing that we ever experienced. Yeah, and and again, hats off to you and and all of the healthcare workers and and everyone who's quite literally risking their and their lives families and every day loved ones as well and and their families. And <laughs> I think you know as we as we think about like wrapping up this mm-hmm. episode because I I think we'll probably end up like touching base again like after this winter and like see where we're at but again this is a a strange question to ask but like how do you think we're going to handle this winter what's your projections for it's mental yeah you just don't know um because obviously we get the normal flu cases um and uh everyone gets lung conditions everyone with lung conditions they come into hospital again because they get infections and there's a normally there's a lot of winter pressures and now you have coronavirus on top of it so we we just don't know it's going to be a strange one but i think by the end of the winter we will have a more clear plan for what will happen for the next year because then we've gone through all the seasons with a normal infection that goes on and then we could kind of 
see the trajectory of the next next wave or where we are. And what what would be your what would be your closing words on people who tell you that coronavirus is is it is, is real? Fake? It is definitely real. I can feel it on my body, and I've seen I've seen it. Um, it's be cautious, be 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 careful. Don't believe that it doesn't exist because you don't know if you or one of your family members will get it if you're incautious. Exactly. Well, look, <laughs> thanks. I know I know that you're a bit you were a bit. Uh, nervous about this at the start but like <laughs> thanks for sharing your story uh, it's it's a story that i've been wanting to just like get out there for a little while i've wanted to introduce you to to people who have been following and they've they've been very keen on what you're doing and, I, and i'm sure mm -hmm. that when we put this out you're going to get a ton of of love and support so um dr karina yeah <laughs> thank you very much thank you thank you for having me no worries